This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This week, we are taking a look back at bed knobs and broomsticks to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Now, comes the hard part, the part that I'm never very good at. Uh, since this was my pick, I'm going to have to do a 60-second synopsis. So, one of you needs to get a timer together. Who's got it? Not me. My phone's not in the room. You know, you're on the internet. Okay, I have one. It doesn't have a ding at the end, but... That's fine, I may go over. Okay. And give me a countdown, let's get this thing going. Three, two, one, go. Miss Eglantine Price is a reclusive woman learning witchcraft through a correspondence course. She gets charged with caring for three children displaced from London due to the Blitz, Charlie, Carrie, and Paul Rollins. On their first night, the children try to escape, but witness Miss Price failing to ride a broomstick and decide to blackmail her. She relents, enchanting a bed knob with a traveling spell for Paul. After learning her school is closing, but before sending the last and most important spell, Price and the children travel to London to track down her professor, Emilius Brown, a street magician who was surprised to learn his spells really work as he copied them from an old book. Price forces Brown to get uh, to show her the book, but finds the last half of the book is missing. They travel to Portobello Road to find the other half, but attract the attention of a criminal underground and get captured by a boss who has the other half. They switch halves, but find neither contains the spell, pointing instead to the fictional island of Nembumbu. Uh, using the magic of the bed, they travel to Nembumbu, have a pointless dance scene and soccer game, and steal the medallion of the king with the spell. They return to Price's home just as Nazis invade. They are again captured, but use the spell to enchant old suits of armor that come to life and fight the German army. They win, but Price's workshop is destroyed along with all of her spells except for the bed knob. So, <laughs> with the delay there, I think I was pretty close. <laughs> I timed myself a couple of times. I was coming in, like, right at a minute. So, you know what? I'm going to give it to myself. Congratulations, <laughs> me. Yeah, good job. <laughs> all right. Let's go into long form. What did you guys notice as adults that you may have missed as children? Um, so the only thing I remembered about this movie was the underwater scene that happened. Yeah. And, um, that the bed flies and something about making suits of armor move was the only thing I could remember about it from before. You so. didn't remember the Nazis? I didn't remember the Am Nazis. Am I the only one that I, remembered the Nazis? I specifically saw this film. The reason I picked it is I saw it as a child. I remember watching it at my aunt's house. My aunt had older children. Uh, and so she had some movies from, you know, from her childhood she was showing them. She had a large collection, is my point. Um, and I remember liking this film. I also remember getting really bored in this film and losing my attention in this film. And turns out, young Carl was correct. Yep. <laughs> this, this film loses wrong. the plot 
a lot. I do not remember. Well, I, again, since I don't remember anything about it, uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing it, and I feel like I would have liked it as a kid, maybe because I remembered it. But like, I couldn't even remember any of the lyrics to the songs, or you know what the names of the songs were, or yep. what was Which happening. Is- yep. Where and we differ because I have one. Now of these I songs. watch it now, and there's basically no plot to it. They just have to figure <gasps> out how to do a spell, and somehow at the end, oh, the spell works, and now we're fighting the Nazis with it for some reason. <laughs> and suddenly, Nazis. I take it in another direction. I think this is a lot more in my head, a lot more like Mary Poppins than I remember. Oh yeah, I can definitely see that corollary. And it yeah. was originally supposed to be Julie Andrews. Well, I okay. used to get them confused a lot because and, I would put one oh. scene from f- scene from one in the other movie. But I know Angela Lansbury more as an adult than I ever did as a child. Um, and Julie Andrews was offered the role; she turned it down. That makes sense. She then tried to accept the role, but Angela Lansbury had already agreed. Yeah, because she um, didn't. She it was either Mary Poppins or Sound of Music. I can't remember which one she did first. But Mary the one Bell. that she did second, uh, she almost turned down because she didn't want to get typecast as that nanny sort of character. She was in Sound of Music on stage before she did no, Mary she Poppins. Was not. I don't think so because she wasn't the original. In she Sound was found on stage before she did. Mary well, yes, Poppins. she was very famous on stage before she did anything in movies but she was not the original in sound of music that was mary martin okay who is also known for peter pan oh she played peter pan she played peter pan and (laughs) no i wasn't joking peter pan is normally played by a woman i I know Um, i'm saying that sarah says oh she's normally known for this and we were both like well the very famous (laughs) recorded version if any of you had the VHS as a child, like I did. Oh, I sure did. I, I for remember sure. seeing that it, and I thought it was weird I've that it was a woman. But. Yeah. Um, well, it, well, it always was. Even, like, the non-musical version. Like, the if you've seen um, Finding Neverland with um, Johnny Depp. I have seen um, that, yes. When they do the stage show in that that he's watching, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Pan is a woman in that version, too. Sure. So it's always been a woman. Very historical. Um, because it's just easier when they're adult characters for it to seem like a small boy with a woman because she has a higher voice. Um, but, uh, that's what she was very famous for. Um, I had the VHS and I watched it constantly to the point where I cannot think of Raisinets without thinking of Peter Pan because that's who sponsored the telecast. Well... For a change of pace, why don't we talk about bed knobs and broops? Anyway, <laughs> um, she didn't want to be t- typecast because it was the same kind of magical role and it had the same co-star. And oh, also, yeah. one of the songs was originally supposed to be for Mary Poppins, the um, the sea song. Um, Wait, the um, what do you mean the same co-star? Mr. It's Banks! The same, yes. He's the same type of co-star. No. but It's the same guy. It's the same guy. It? It's Mr. Banks. Okay. He was the father of Mary yes. Poppins. Yes, it's All Mr. Right. Banks. Sure. You can just keep saying that name, and that may not mean anything to me or oh our listeners. Oh my goodness. It's Mr. Banks. <laughs> Great. I got that. That also sounds like a banker's name, because sometimes well, writers don't try that hard. Did you not see Saving Mr. Banks? Spoiler alert, he I was a not. banker in Mary Poppins. Did you not see Saving Mr. Banks? <laughs> I didn't. 
I maybe should. That's a Tom Hanks vehicle. Yeah. If I remember. And and mm. Emma Thompson. Sure. She's very lovely. All right. Maybe I'll watch that. But right now, why don't we talk about but not the Brewsticks? <laughs> anyway, the one of the songs was also supposed to be in Mary Poppins. The beautiful Briny was supposed to be a Mary Poppins song. I could definitely see that. To me, this film has a great beginning. The beginning uh, tells you a lot of... It builds it up very nicely. It sets things in motion. Uh, the relationship between the kids, when they find um, Mr. Brown in the alley and learn that he's been running a school, kind of conning people, sending out spells that aren't supposed to really work, that works really great. As soon as we hit Portobello Road, this loses the plot. Portobello like, Road has been stuck in my head for 25 years. It is a great song. That's funny it's because I song. remember nothing about it. <laughs> It is on my phone right now. Having just watched it recently, even, I don't remember anything about it. I'm not kidding. For me, as soon as they hit Portobello Road, it loses the plot, and I lose a lot of interest in the plot until they get back to the real world. Like, after they go in the book, they get back to the real world, and they start fighting Nazis. When they start fighting Nazis, I'm on board again. But the beautiful brain is That's the only part that matters. The middle section there is about an hour of the film, and it's, oh boy, it really drags. If there's nothing going on, it's just like, hey, we need to go find this thing to figure out a spell. And then they wander around through like four different locations before they find anything out. And the the parts that happen in those locations have no meaning to the rest of the story at all. You don't like the Robin Hood soccer scene? No, I did not like that at all. Uh, but they didn't play soccer for the benefit of our audience. <laughs> no, but it's the same uh, animation. It's a hundred percent the same start animation. In, um, let's start at the beginning. Let's begin at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Wow. With and with World War Two. Yes. And the Blitz. In England in 1940. Hmm. So there's a there's lovely touches in this film, and I'm I'm gonna try to throw them out when I see them uh, because there's a large amount of this film that I did not care about and I want to give credit to the things I really liked. There's an interesting concept here at the beginning of the film where uh, two men are in a car, they're trying to find their way in the small English town and... Which is actually California. They see a guy at a signpost who is painting out the street names on the signpost to confuse the Germans in case they invade, but it's also making it hard for normal citizens to find their way around the town. I just think, I don't know if that's a real thing that happened or something this film invented, but it's it's really cute and a very nice touch. But, let's go to, um, let's talk about the kids. Because to me, this was uh, another bad note of the film, the kids don't really have any unique personalities. I don't know if I could name the children. Nope. Uh, for someone who didn't prepare uh, a 60-second synopsis, Mark, what do you think the child names are? Um, David. Nope. Okay. That's not one of them. Well, that one was the only one that's in my head. And I think one of them was a girl. One of them definitely was a girl, for <laughs> so... sure. That is her defining characteristic of her character. Uh... So, Mark, you don't have... Sarah, could you guess Wait. the names of the children? Was I there think... a Daniel? 
I think one's, nope. I think one's Paul. Paul, one yes, isn't, Paul isn't is Paul, the little kid. Isn't Paul the one that gets the, the bed knob? Yeah. The that one is who has the power of the bed knob? Now that you say his name, that's the only one that I can think right. of. Is one named Jane? Aren't all British girls named Jane? Nope. Um. I wanted to say Lucy, but that's also So, the it. children's names I got are... one! I got better than Mark. You, you did do better than Mark. I will give you the points. <laughs> that don't matter. Um, so, the eldest boy is named Charles. Uh, the girl, middle child, is named Carrie. And the youngest is Paul. No British people are named Carrie. I know. So, I have a problem with these kids. Not that they aren't lovable. Not that they don't do a great job acting. It's that their characters aren't fleshed out at all. And this is one of the failures I saw in the film, where for a children's film, the children don't really have a part in the film. It's far more about Angela Lansbury uh, playing uh, Eglantine Price. If you want to talk about names, nobody is called Eglantine. That is the most witch name in the world. Uh, and Emilius Brown, uh, her, her teacher uh, slash con man. He sounds like a scammer. Everything that they do, every location that they visit, Miss Price and Mr. Brown have things to do and are a part of the scene. But, like, the kids are just kind of there watching. He sounds like a character in, um, the Harry mu- no, in Music Man. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Well, speaking of which, I'm pretty sure Carl, in his synopsis, said that he was a street musician. Magician. So. <laughs> Street magician is what I tried to say, but I was going quite quickly. I may have mumbled over it. My dogs are having a meltdown right now, and I don't know why. Yeah, what's what's the deal? I don't know. Okay. It might be there's a lab that lives a couple houses over that likes to howl, and my dogs oh. can just not handle it. Well, we'll see if we can cut that out of the podcast. If not, it's just a little dog fix for all of our audience. Uh-huh. So I'll, I'll put the kids on the Facebook. The kids are a bit one note, but what they do with Angela Lansbury as Eglantine Price uh, is pretty interesting. I like her entrance where we see her, this old woman riding an old timey motorcycle that is shooting out green smoke. Like it's a great entrance for the character. We can tell that she's kind of quirky. She's a little weird. Um, we, she gets things in the post uh, one of which is clearly a broomstick. Like, you, they wrap it in paper, but, like, you look at it, you know exactly what it is that she's getting. But she'll try to hide it from the kids. She takes it to her secret li- laboratory. Um, so, yeah, I like this introduction. Especially, like, the kids at her home, where they're trying to be normal children. She doesn't like kids. And it's a very strict... Uh, environment where she doesn't even provide normal food. Like, she's basically trying to feed them potion ingredients. Like, when uh, when she's in the town and they tell her that she needs to take care of these kids, she keeps talking about how she's not good with kids and she doesn't think it's a good idea. But then she's all, like, grandmother when they get to the house. She's all, like, sweet with them and knows how to act and gets them to do things. It was... I'm taking offense to you guys keep calling her old. She was like 45 when they made this movie. When did I call her old? You called her a grandma. 
I associate Angela Lansbury with being way older than I am at any given time in history, she was, which is true. She was like 45 when they made this movie. And how old was I? Not alive, but she's Correct. like... Correct. Anybody who was 40 when I wasn't alive yet will always be she's considered old by barely me. barely middle-aged. She could have been those kids' mother at this point. <laughs> No, I do I do associate Angela Lansbury with Murder She Wrote where she is a bit older than this. Yep. And that show didn't come on for another twenty years after. So this she movie. was a bit older than this. Like he but said. But like even even at near forties, she did have an older face. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. At one point I just in time, see her and I think old woman. At one point in time, Angela Lansbury was young. We have to accept that. <sighs> But I will find though, you a picture of her. Is she young. not like one of those forever children? No. Or forever olds? Like, um, mm, I'll find a good one. Anywho. Uh, but, let's see. Oh, yeah, find we meet you a her. picture. Sure. Uh, yeah, she is a bit grandmotherly with them. But, like, even people who don't necessarily want to be caretakers for children do know how to act around children. I mean, she's doing the bare minimum, which is, here's a, here's a place to sleep. This is my cat. Don't bother the cat. Uh, <laughs> here are some raw vegetables for you to eat, I guess. Nom, nom, this nom, is nom. what children are into, yes? What, fidget spinners? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Um, <laughs> we don't know how to take care of children. Oh, no, no. I certainly don't. I don't intend to learn until I need to. Don't you have nieces? Yeah, but I'm not, like, that's the thing. I don't need to take care of them. I, when I'm around them, oh boy, howdy. I will be the funnest uncle you can think of. I will bring them presents on their birthday. I will make every minute I spend with them a joy and a delight and fill their lives with laughter. I don't want to take care i don't want to take them home and be responsible for their well-being that sounds like a butt ton of responsibility they shouldn't leave you alone with them they might i could die. babysit them for a night that is hardly taking them as my ward <laughs> bert ward yes butt ward <laughs> oh my goodness all right so back to this movie eventually we <laughs> might talk like, about the movie we're feel reviewing. like there's gonna be a lot of this so I like the idea, I like the premise of this film, where even in her 40s, I guess, which is apparently not old, uh, <laughs> she is in school for witchcraft. Like, I've seen a lot of properties where, you know, you're an older witch, you're very established, you've been around for hundreds of years, and now you have normal kids interacting with you. I've seen that a lot. What I haven't seen is this, where... Someone is learning magic for the first time, and it also there's children thrown into the mix as well. So I like the originality of this. I mean, I say originality, and this film is like 50 years old, but it's amazing that this hasn't come up more uh, since this film came out. So it's a, it's a fun premise. I like the joke that she's learning magic through a correspondence course. <laughs> Which then is closed on her with no warning. Well, we find out why. Uh, yeah, I like her fumbling around with magic as well. Uh, the uh, the broomstick scene comes sticks out for me, where she can't 
figure out how to ride a broomstick. Uh, even like the instructions tell her that she should be ladylike and ride side saddle to maintain her dignity upon the broom. Uh, and she's unable to make that work. And she eventually she just straddles it uh, like, I guess, a, a man rides a broomstick and takes off into the night. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun physical humor in this film. So, Mark, do you want to bring us into why the correspondence course gets capped or canceled? Um, maybe. <laughs> if I remembered why. <laughs> oh, man. I telling you, I knew I'd remember nothing about oh, this movie. Oh, boy. When did you guys watch it. this? I know Sarah saw part of it. I watched it uh, last week. <laughs> okay. I am on legal prescription drugs that make me fall asleep at weird times. Sarah, we're just glad you're here. Feel 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 Thank free you. to pepper in the conversation with what you think the film is. <laughs> I'm just It'll want, probably be close enough. I just want the audience to know it wasn't the movie. I love this movie, and I have seen it pretty regularly through the years because I like the music no matter what Carl and Mark say. <laughs> and when I do the Facebook post, I'm going to say that they are stupid morons. Well, that's just par for the course, regardless of what film we decide to do. <laughs> it's true. Oh, we should, before moving on to our correspondence scores, which I guess I'll be explaining. Um, Sorry, I'm finding you pretty young pictures of Angela Lee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to post that in the Facebook feed. Let's talk about um, I'm trying to send the, the broomstick scene and what leads into the, the blackmailing. So I liked the effects in this film in some things, and I'll get into the ones I didn't like. I think the, the broomstick scene is fairly well done in that it's not a smooth flight for her uh, in that like she's clearly struggling to maintain control the whole time. I think if it had just been a smooth flight through the night sky, that might have been a little boring to watch. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, early in the first Iron Man movie, because he has all the engineering worked out, but trying to actually fly the thing himself is a little awkward, and he kept, he keeps crashing over and over and can't figure it out for the few, first few tries, and then suddenly flies around the town with no problem. <laughs> but... <laughs> It does lead into uh, them striking a deal um, where I think it was Eglantine Price doesn't want the children to reveal to everyone that she's a witch, uh, which she's witch. horrible at lying to children. <laughs> like, the children accuse her of being a witch, and she kind of just concedes the point. It's just like, well, you got me. Yep. <laughs> That's a thing All that right. happened. Uh, and so they strike a deal, and this is where the bed knob from the title comes in, uh, where she needs to cast a spell on something that can turn, something that can twist. Um, and I love this scene because Paul starts just pulling random junk out of his pop pocket, the typical things that any young child at this time may be carrying for no particular reason. Um, and I wrote them down here. Paul has in his pocket... A piece of beautiful blue glass, for reasons, a lovely piece of string, a horseshoe nail, and the bed knob he stole from the upstairs bed. <laughs> Luckily, the bed knob fits the bill as she casts the traveling spell on it. 
Uh, there's a lovely bit of effects work here, which are practical effects, where she puts the bed knob on the table, and the scene cuts, and it gets replaced with a light bulb that, as she is casting the spell, glows in a very ethereal way. I thought that was a, it's a really nice touch. It's nice to see practical effects more than the digital effects in this film, which we will go into and how horrible they are. <laughs> uh, but there's a scene at the end as well with practical effects that we'll get into. Like, those effects, especially at this time in cinema history, really nice, very fun. Sarah, you can stop looking up photos. Did you get them? I will find them. <sighs> She was is that, pretty. Uh, is that why my computer keeps dinging at me? Probably. Yes. It's also why Sarah is completely silent. Well, I also... This is part of the part that I fell asleep during. Part of the This part. is the very beginning. Yep. Well, so, I fell asleep and then I looked up some of the musical numbers. And, all right, all right. And well, again, we're, this is we're something that I there. didn't remember. Like, Did I remembered... you know that, like, Eglantine... Yes. Angela Lansbury was also a World War II evacuee. Oh. Yes. I wait. Do you mean like the children? <laughs> well, yeah, but like Okay. But she eva- wa- evacuated from London. Okay. I'm not sure if that's true for Eglantine, but it's certainly true for the Rollins children in this film. I mean, she probably didn't always live in a museum. She doesn't live in a museum. But there is the museum. (laughs) There is a museum in the town. She lives in her own house alone in a secluded section of this town. She only goes into town to, like, buy groceries and get mail. Did you know this was all shot in California? What? Yep. That is surprising. The entire movie was shot in Burbank. That's surprising to me because well, one I mean, of the things that's where the Disney studio is, but I mean, yes, I know this was a Disney film. It's surprising to me, a because it's set in England. I assume some filming was done in England. The other thing that I liked about this film, especially with like the old men of the town who are running their own like military regiment or whatever <laughs> militia or something. Sure, yeah. they are. They're not like. Beautiful Hollywood people. I think most they of the look cast like was regular British. people. I think most of the cast was British, but it was all shot in Burbank. Okay, but I like that there are like not everyone's beautiful in this film. I like that there's plenty of normal old men in here that like have moles or like just really <laughs> jowls. They don't necessarily look distinguished. And I think that's something that Hollywood has well, lost, where, like, now everyone has to be super polished and pretty. In the 60s and 70s, Disney had a lot of crotchety old men. Mm-hmm. Like, in this, and Mary Poppins had a couple. Yeah. And, like, uh, Pete's Dragon had some crotchety old people. Like, that sort of thing. Would you say, so, you think, was this, like, their militia, or what is, like, the Home Guard or something? Probably more like the Home Guard. Which, yeah, would, which, I which would have been mostly the old people because all the young ones yep. would have been off in the war. Well, and then Mr. Banks yeah. leaves for the war at the end, and you don't you don't really get a happy ending at the end of it. You don't. We could we go into that when we get there. But yeah, my my understanding, which might be the home guard, I'm not exactly sure the definition of what you're aiming for there. That may be the actual term. Um, was this is the the old men of the town that are just. You know, getting together, neighborhood watching the town, look, keeping a lookout for Nazis. There, this is the time and 
England where Nazis could be around any corner. Uh, and so there's just old men surveying the town looking for Nazis. That's what I understood it to be. Maybe that's the home guard. Can you think of any other Disney movies where Nazis show up? The Incredible Ooh. Mr. Limpet. Wow. wow. Nailed it in one. That's not a movie that you hear every day. It is not. But it was also set in World War II. Oh, wait. So. Isn't there a Donald Duck cartoon where yes. he, like... Um, I think it, w- it was one of the propaganda ones where he, Wait, uh, where he like, where kind of gets on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Does Donald Duck end the war? Uh-huh. He, like... Because, like, I know that happened with comic books. Because there was, there was one where Superman flew over to Germany and ended the war in a day. It's like... I didn't know that happened with Disney characters. No, well, his was it's... more about... Tra- wasn't, I think, well... I thought that was more about t- telling people why the Nazis were bad or something. Yeah, it, but, it's it's anti-Nazi, but somehow in being anti-Nazi, Donald Duck becomes a Nazi for a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, does he become the Fuhrer? No, he just becomes a, okay. a generalized Nazi. He meets the Fuhrer. <laughs> he does. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. All right, so we've got the, the titular bed knob that is um, powered with this traveling spell, uh, but it will only work for the youngest child. Eglantine finds out that her correspondence course Middle children never get anything. Uh, tell me about it. Um, and so she decides to take the children in her bed to London uh, to look for her professor, Emilius Brown. This may be, if you want to talk about the songs, I think this is the first song in the film, Sarah, where the eldest child... I think Charles doesn't want to go with them uh, because he doesn't think it'll work, and he thinks he'll look foolish jumping on a bed and making believe with this old woman and his siblings. The age of not believing. That's mm-hmm. the one. Which I think is a beautiful song, yeah. and it got an Oscar nomination. I have actually heard that song a few times before. Mo- most of the other ones from this, I, the and that and the the beautiful briny sea, I may have Which heard a I few also times, think but is a nice I do not song. remember them ever. Like they don't. I remember it once I start hearing it, but it's not like other songs like Beauty and the Beast or or something you know that just pops the into your head. Beautiful briny got put on. A couple of those like Disney sing along ones, mm. um, but I like the Age of Non-Believing. I think it okay. is a very nice solo for Angela Lansbury. Mm-hmm. I like to just listen to Angela Lansbury's voice and just kind of go, "Ooh, she sings." So, nice. <laughs> for me, I don't know. Um, it seemed like the the plot finally had some momentum. They got the magic item. They were going to go to London because she needed to see her professor in a hurry because their spell they're looking for is very important. So they get all packed up and they get ready to to head out and then they stop because this kid doesn't want to go with them and this song kind of delays the process of them leaving. It's like I put on my coat and I'm ready to leave a party, but then somebody I'm with doesn't want to leave yet or has to say, like, 15,000 goodbyes before we leave. I'm ready to go, and this film is holding me back, and that's where the song fits in. This is definitely not uncommon in musicals in general, where you definitely have to stop for basically, like, a soliloquy song or a, like, internal monologue song, which basically this kind of is. You Mm -hmm. just... You have a solo song that kind of stops the action, 
And so this isn't uncommon. It definitely, there's a type of, a lot of people dislike them. I'm not bothered by them. I, I like solo songs a lot. And so for me, that kind of stop in action to have a little quiet solo song doesn't bother me. It is something that bothers a lot of people, so I can see why it sure. bugs you. But it's just kind of a personal taste thing. It's something that's very big in in shows a lot, so it's definitely something you're going to run into a lot. Right. So does it normally happen this early on? Because I think this is the first song in the, the feature. Um, a lot of times you're going to have a big number as your... A, big group number as your first song not necessarily um think of like oklahoma oklahoma sure. opens with um oh what a beautiful morning which is an yeah, internal monologue fair. song um other things you think bye bye birdie don't um it starts with a is telephone hour the first one or is that the second one was your song the first um one? there's one in the office yeah so, I think that's Rosie. Rosie sings so, there. So Rose has her internal monologue song first. Um, so it just kind of depends so, on the show. All right. Fair enough. This, uh, it's not particularly my taste. I felt like it slowed down the action yep. for me. If it's something you enjoy, there's something you'll yeah. find in this movie. It'll. And you're not alone that, that people don't like that. It's definitely Broadway goes back and forth on whether that's in fashion or not. So... We get through Angela Lansbury's song, which some of you might enjoy. <laughs> Charlie decides uh, to hop on the bed and go with them, mostly because he's scared of her cat and doesn't want to be left alone with the cat in case this works. Uh, and we spin the bed knob and we take off. And this is where, like, you could tell that they were in uh, early effects with, like, Technicolor and, like, inserting color into scenes because... The, the travel of the bed in this movie is kind of a Technicolor nightmare. They're just kind of in a black void. There's And then there's like a lot of colors, lights going in and out. And then they're there. Like for that time period, it was probably a cool special effect. Thing. Oh, sure. But if they, you look at it now, it's like. Eh. <laughs> they, won the, they won the Oscar for best visual effects. Mm -hmm. Well, so I would give it to, I think. Some of the physical effects they do later are better mm -hmm. than the visual effects of this movie. But, like, for a modern audience, this scene is very jarring. And I think that's, even at the time, that was supposed to be kind of what they were going for, where it's something unearthly, something that shouldn't feel comfortable because you're traveling through a magic realm and teleporting to somewhere else. But as an audience member watching, it's just like, ah, uh, it's hard to look at for a film that's supposed to demand your attention. Yeah, and I mean, this was 1971. It was for the 1972 Academy Awards. So the things it were, was up against was just when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. Oh, wow. So not a lot right. of nominees that year. All right. So I'd watch we that, get though. we get to London. We get a lovely line here, uh, which I think is, "Ah, London, can you smell the beautiful sooty air," uh, because <laughs> London is just London. London, especially at this time, is just known as a dirt ball of a city. It's real gross. Yeah, just throw everything into the river. Chim chimery. Uh, so we meet um, Emilius Brown, who is performing magic on the street badly um and losing 
all of his audience. I think he does a few tricks and attracts a couple of audience members, and then he tries to do the thing where you put a bottle in a bag, and then you're supposed to smash the bag and show that, ooh, look, the bottle has disappeared. Uh, but he fails at it, and you, all the audience just hears the glass breaking as he smashes it. Uh, and then everyone just disappears. He tries to sell, I think, Paul a whistle to attract birds. Uh, and then Miss Price joins them and finds out that her professor is not a real professor. <laughs> and the thing that you forgot, Mark, was mm. the reason the school is closing down is that his lessons are over. He doesn't have the end of the book. So because he got all of his information, all of his spells that he was sending out from this book that he found that he thought was just gibberish, uh, he's run out of gibberish to send out. And so, quote unquote, because of the war, he's shutting down the school. So that's what I, when, when you asked me that, that was what I had in my head was that it was because of the war, but it didn't sound quite right. So yeah, yeah, that's the BS reason he yeah. gives. That was the real what the reason, letter said, but not the real, real reason, reason is that he's a fraud. But I like this idea of a character where it's a con man who is selling magic spells that he doesn't think work or are worth anything, and he sold them to the one person who could actually get them to work. Like, this is where the, the plot really makes sense to me. It's where I'm on board to see where we go. And I like the chemistry of Emilius Brown and Mrs. Price. I think, like... These are the two main actors. They do the most in the film. They have the most growth. I feel like their chemistry is really good, and it makes the film work. He was also in The Love Bug. The Herbie movie? Yes. Good. But the original <laughs> one, not the one with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, no, no. I'm well aware. I didn't watch the one with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Did anyone watch the one with Lindsay Lohan? No. Nope. I don't think they did. I've seen, no, I saw a lot of the original Love Bug films. There, in one of the sequels, there's an evil Love Bug. I'm just saying, he is now a Disney legend. Mm-hmm, because he, he did a lot of Disney stuff. He became one in 2002. I told you my, like, my part in this podcast was going to be giving random facts. Well, you said trivia, and I assumed you meant trivia about bedknobs and broomsticks, <laughs> Is that and not? that you weren't just going to pepper in nonsense to the podcast. He was in bedknobs and broomsticks. Oh, that's Why fair. would you ever assume that about I Sarah? I don't know. He was also in the military in World War II, which bedknobs and broomsticks takes place during. Great. All right. So, um... Let's see, in lieu of me explaining the entire plot on my own. <laughs> also, over. Portobello Road is a we good song. We are getting there. We are getting to Portobello Road. There's one more stop we gotta make, which is where Mr. Brown lives. It's how they get the half of the book uh, that he's been pulling stuff from. And we get another song that you can talk about. It's but Mark, can you explain to us where Mr. Brown lives and why he's able to be in this elaborately nice building when he's just a street performer? The short answer is no. But <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone watch is... this film? Did anyone do the homework? I watched it once and that was too many times for me. So I Get out! Once. I just take Get good out notes. of my so I house! I watch it multiple times. I'm not in your house. 
All right. Do you remember anything about where he lives? Uh, I remember them meeting him at the Portobello Road place. They didn't meet him at Portobello well, Road. Well, that's all I remember They met about him before, it. and then they all went there together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, uh, Mrs. Price forces him to show her the book that he's been pulling spells from. Because this book will potentially hold all the secrets and the one spell she needs to help the England war effort. Uh, he refuses. She turns him into a rabbit. And he realizes, oh my god, magic is real. So they go to where he lives to find the book. And he's in this immaculate mansion of a house. And the way that they explain why a street performer would be living in this elaborately nice home is all of these homes have been evacuated. And the reason is, there is a a bomb that fell in the front yard of this home that has not exploded yet. And Mr. Brown is just hoping, well, they're not using the home. The bomb seems fine. I'm not a bomb scientist, but it didn't explode on impact. It should be good, right? Uh, and so he's just squatting in this nice home, and he's keeping the lights down, but he's living off of their wealth uh, because he's a... Uh, He's a he's a street man, a con man, lives by his own set of rules. I'm not a rocket surgeon. I'm sure not. Uh, but it's nice character building for Mr. Brown, uh, where it shows that he often takes advantage where he can. He lives in the lower side of society. And so I like this explanation of... Here's his character, here's where he's living, and this is why he's living there. Um, I don't think I've ever seen, like, specifically an unexploded bomb in any other movie, so that was a neat touch for this as well. We don't have to harp on this much. Sarah, do you have any notes on uh, this song, which is, I think, Eglantine is where we learn her name. It's where he tries to persuade her to do magic in this magician's act that he's trying to get together. Not really. Alright, it's, it's a forgettable song. <laughs> I just like, um, what's his name singing? He's got a good voice. It kind of reminds me of, like, if Rex Harrell's Harrison could actually sing instead of talk sing. It's that kind of... Ah, uh, yes. <gasps> that man. I, is that a churro? It Did is you a churro. Did you show me a churro? What? I was right. given a churro. Oh, boy. Um, alright. So, let's skip ahead. They find the half book they're looking for, but it doesn't contain the spell that she needs. So they go to the one place in London where you can find anything Anything your heart desires. Sing it a bit louder, Sarah. (laughs) Into the mic, please. Wait, wait, wait. Do we want her to sing copywritten songs? I think it's like 20 seconds. I mean, Disney's not very litigious, right? Yeah, never. (laughs) Street where the riches of ages are so... So... I like this seed change. I like this environment. I think the set is really nice for Portobello Road because they're wandering around uh, and it's just a street market. And it's a lovely street market where you can get lost and find all these hidden gems and treasures. But, but, but this scene goes on for like 20 minutes and most of it doesn't even follow the characters that we got here with. (laughs) There is like a 15-minute dance break where soldiers of, like, 10 different nationalities, like, each nationality has their own dance break where people in their traditional military outfits do their own dance. Like, that 
is fine if you're at a ballet and you want to see traditional military dancing. In a film about magic, it's it has nothing to do with the plot. It literally loses the plot. Dancing is magic. Disagree. <sighs> it reminds me of Oliver um, with Consider Yourself when they go through the market. And all the market. Oh, see, now I was stuff. thinking more Diagon Alley, but <laughs> okay, I could well, buy Diagon Alley. To be fair, have you guys seen Oliver? Yes. Uh, I saw Oliver a long time ago. But... Why should I worry? Why should I care? Is that the one? <laughs> Wrong version of Oliver. Uh, okay. To be fair, I've seen the play version of Oliver a lot more recently than I've seen the movie version. Um. I was in it. I was one of the street people. I was washing clothes. Sarah is a street person. When he Uh, gets caught up in (laughs) the orphan gang, they like go through the street and there's like all these people showing their wares in the streets of they're not in London, but wherever Mm -hmm. they are. And so that's what it reminds me of. in, In my notes, I understood that like musicals have dance breaks. It happens a lot. I mostly struggle through them. But hey, you did the I was dance. on board. I was on board with this film at this moment. And so in my notes, it's dance break exclamation point. I was excited for this. Uh, then we get like the London army comes in and does a dance. And then the Middle Eastern army comes in and does a dance. And then the Scottish army comes in and does a dance. And then the Jamaican army comes in and does a dance. And it goes on way, way too long. It's just like, why are all these military men dancing in a shopping center? Because It the, doesn't make any sense. Because the sun never sets on the British Empire. So they're all British Empire? I mean, probably at that point. Uh, so we're assuming that Portobello Road is somewhere... In the British Somewhere Empire, near, like, a, a port. Portobello Road is, if I'm correct, Portobello... Is it in London? I'm pretty sure. Okay, is it near one of the London ports? Portobello Road is the world's largest antique market. It's okay. in the Notting Hill District. Oh, that one. I know of it, I think. <laughs> I think there was a... Notting Hill was a sitcom I'm vaguely aware of. No, it is a chick flick with, um... <laughs> Uh, what's his face? Hugh Gr- Hugh Grant. Yeah, sure. And um, what's her face? Big smile. Uh, Julia Roberts. Thank you. <laughs> Did I get it? What, what's her face? Big smile. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's her new awesome. name. <laughs> it is in West London. Okay, hmm. that's the nice part of London, as Hannibal Buress has really told me in a uh, commercial. Yep. Anyway, so Portobello Road is where I first like. It really start. This film really started to slog for me. It was a struggle to get through this. In particular, every time we cut back to um, Brown and Price, she's always looking at complete books, and she knows she should be looking for a book that only has the back cover on it. And yet, she spends time going through all these fully complete books uh, and doesn't find anything because it's not there. So, like. This scene went on too long and is almost pointless. The only thing it accomplishes is they attract the uh, the attention of the underground society of bookkeepers, I guess. Because when Portobello Road closes, 
And Sarah, if you could sing Portobello Road in a minor key for us. Portobello Road is in a minor key, isn't it? For most of it. Portobello yeah, but it slows Road, down. Portobello Road. There you go. That's the closing theme. Scene closed down, the shopkeepers go home to their families or whatever. And this guy shows up with a knife and is just like, why don't you all come with me? And he takes her, like, the, there's a scene where they end up in a basement next to this, like, mob street boss or whatever. But before, the kids or these people that they're with, Eglantine Price or uh, Amelius Brown, are let in. They push the entire bed down the stairs so that, I don't know, the criminal underboss can interrogate the bed? Yeah. Well, I, I guess, know, did, they, they... did they know that the bed was magical then, apparently? Oh, they sure didn't, because they didn't stop the kids from getting on it later. Maybe they thought they could shift it. But, well, but if they don't know that the bed's magical, what's the point of having it there? So they exactly could shift so. it. Like, I don't even know how they got from where Knife Guy got to them, back to the bed, before ending up a mob boss. Yeah, and I I wondered that, too. This is a part I do remember from watching it. <laughs> I was like, how did they even get a bed in the door and down the Welcome stairs? Welcome to the conversation. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's... Given that the bed being there is so important to their escape, like, I don't understand why it's there. Well, it's there so that they can escape. Sure. Just let it happen. Ah, fine. It's magic. Oh, oh, it's magic. You know? You know. All right. So, again, I like the character here. I like Bookman in that he's the type of uh, street boss where he thinks he's intelligent or enlightened. He has the other half of the book because he has an interest in learning this magic spell as well. Uh, He's been looking for it for a while. Uh, He's also the type of guy that, when talking in a um, a polite vernacular uh, doesn't work, he'll just pull out a gun at the drop of a hat. So, like, he pretends to be enlightened and well-informed, but if somebody doesn't go his way, he's not above just pulling out a weapon and shooting some people. Uh, though, their interaction doesn't last long. Does anyone remember what happens when they look through both halves of the book? It's not I feel there. like I'm giving you all a quiz, and you're not doing great. But it's not there. No, no, the other half of the book is there. Bookman no, but, has it. Yeah. The spell's not there. Right. Correct. Yeah. I know something! Great. Do you know where the spell is? It got taken by animals. It's on the <laughs> it's on the medallion thingy. Right. Oh, well, so, kind of. It's also somewhere else, but we'll get to that yeah, later. Right. Taken by animals. Correct. So Astaroth is this mystical wizard who put all of his spells in the book. Uh, reading the spell, it describes that the spell is inscribed, and that's where it it breaks. Uh, and on the other half, it says, it's inscribed upon his medallion, but it does not tell him what the spell is. Uh, it just relates that um, he retired in a an island that he created called, I think, Nabumbu, and enchanted the animals there and lived his re- the rest of his life there with his medallion. So the medallion is on this magical island of animals, 
And yes, it was taken by animals, Sarah. For for I will reasons. give you the points. And it's all the animals from Robin Hood. Yep. Yep. I mean, we already have this animation. We might as well use it. So animation I mean, was ex- done it before. Animation's expensive. It sure is. Especially Although, the sort of detail Disney does. Now, hmm, hold on. Keep talking about something else. <laughs> All right. So, to escape these mob guys that are getting wise, oh, okay. that they may know where the island is. So, Robin Hood came out in 1973. You're saying oh. that this animation <gasps> is from Robin Hood, but I'm thinking that Robin Hood stole animation from this. It's backwards! Oh my! Because I was thinking that Robin Hood was in the 70s, and if this was 71, then that yeah. can't be right. I don't know. I wasn't born for either of them. Yep, that's why everyone in this movie is old to me. Well. Even the kids. One of them is dead, so. <gasps> Spoiler alert! Sorry, Mr. Banks died in 2000. Yeah, it happens. Angela Lansbury's still alive. That's good. All right. Let's get to Nabimbu, Nabamba, sounds whatever like, this island is It sounds is like the sequel to Zaboomafu. Yes, it does. Uh, but to escape these mob guys that are getting wise, that they may know where this island is, because Paul found it in a book, uh, they jump on the bed and manage to teleport away before the mob people can stop them. And apparently this bed is magic enough to take them to a fictional island that only exists in the land of this book that one of the children found. I, again, really like that idea. That magic, you can teleport anywhere with this bed. It doesn't have to be on the earth. It doesn't have to even be real. You can just go wherever your heart desires. And they want to go into this book. And so they just do it. They, they just hang out with all the creatures depicted in this. Uh, so, Sarah, we're getting to the uh, the fish scene. Um, the 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 song that I think won the award you were telling us? No. Underwater? No, no, none of the songs won the award. Okay. It was the first one that got the nomination. Ah... It was this song that was supposed to be in Mary Poppins. Ah. All right. Do you have any other notes? Because this was another scene that was a dance scene that I thought went on too long and delayed the plot, like, a lot. I liked this scene. Okay, Um, tell us what you liked about it. I think it was a nice scene with fish, and I think it was a nice jaunty tune. (laughs) And it was supposed to be in Mary Poppins. And it was supposed to take place in Admiral Boom's house, because his house was a boat. Yes, the uh, the song here, I believe, is called "Bobbing Along." If you want, if anyone in our audience would like to look it up, um, it's a nice, like them on this island is something that I associate with. Like, oh, Mary we're Poppins. past it's where nice... we are, because the beautiful what? Briny is the one I was. Talking yeah, about. yeah. Well, it's oh, the yeah. same song. Bobbing. Beautiful Briny might be the name of the song. Bobbing Along is one of the lyrics. I didn't look up the actual name. There's fish. Yes. And dancing. Dancing fish. And there's like a fish bar. I can't imagine why that reminds you of Mary Poppins. I was getting to that before Sarah so rudely interrupted. Because fish are eaten by penguins? (laughs) No, it's because it's, um, it's live action with traditional animation. So what? it's real people interacting with cartoons. Mm-hmm. So 
Like this, this effect was also fairly new at this time. I think this film does it very well. Where like they they dance of their own, but they occasionally interact with the cartoons that are there, and that uh, the interactions go fairly well. Um, at the end of the dance scene, the fish award them like some trophy because they were apparently in a dance contest, even though that wasn't established at all. Um, and apparently they can breathe underwater without. Oh yeah, any... yeah. You can't die in this water if you're an actual human person. <laughs> I will say though. Well, I don't. You you mentioned this was new, but they've been I doing live action and animation mixed for many it was years. New before to this. me. <laughs> Fine. Anyway, I enjoyed the scene, but it's another case of it delaying the plot, mm-hmm. it having no relevance on the story, and it not advancing the plot in any way. Well, that's what I I mentioned this earlier that this was the one scene that I could even remember from watching this as a kid before I watched it this time. All I knew was that they go under the water with their bed for some reason, but I couldn't remember any of the specifics of it. I couldn't remember the name of the song or anything. And it's nothing is accomplished here. Yeah, it's okay, but nothing happens that furthers the story at all. And it's like a 15 minute scene. And like, I get wanting to set the atmosphere, but we've just traveled to this Island of animals and this is taking place not on the island, but in the sea near the island. So, like, we haven't even gotten to the place that we're suppo- we were excited to get to from looking at the book. So it just, to me, it wasn't necessarily out of place, but it definitely seemed unnecessary. Which, it, to Sarah's point, if it was supposed to have been in Mary Poppins, maybe they already had the footage or the animation part of it. And we're just like, well, now we have this. We should stick it in this movie while we can. But if you think about Mary Poppins, pretty much nothing happens in Mary Poppins. We go to the park, we do a song. We go to another place, we do a song. We go here, we do a song. And maybe there's some character development, but mostly we go to a place, we do a song. And it's fun because they're fun songs, but really nothing happens. And maybe I'm going to posit that perhaps the songs in Mary Poppins are better than the songs in this movie. I don't know. I haven't seen Mary Poppins in a while. Maybe I won't like Mary Poppins if, if and when we do it for this podcast. The movie's definitely better than the stage Yes, yes show. it is. As someone who did it a couple months ago, they definitely replaced some of the good songs with some worse songs. Okay. Including literally all of Mrs. Banks' songs. Well, who did... Now, Sarah, with your trivia... Mm-hmm. Who did the music for Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Was it still the the Sherman Brothers? It was. Oh. Well, I was going to say maybe that's why it's not as good, but... Nope. <laughs> if it's the same people, it should be still as good, so I don't know. Yep. It's still the Sherman Brothers. But let's move on from the water back to the actual land where these humans can breathe. Um, they get fished out by a character that looks suspiciously like Baloo in a sailor suit. But then they get to the king, and they want to talk to him because the king's got the medallion. He's he's is he the one that looks is a tiger? Lion, lion. lion. Yeah, because he yes. looks like king of the jungle. Prince Richard. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. from from Robin Hood. Yeah, that's the one. I was gonna say Lion King, and I knew that was wrong. Whichever one gets the rings kissed off his fingers. Yes, he does look very much like that. 
But they set up um, another problem because they want to go talk to the king. But the king's throwing a fit because they lost the ref- the referee for a soccer game. And so the king wants to play soccer but can't. Uh, and so, as a ploy, Mr. Brown decides, you know what? I could be your referee. Let's have a soccer game. And then there's a 15-minute soccer game, which doesn't accomplish anything and is pretty pointless. I feel, I, I thought the reason for him being the referee was to put the king in a good mood so they could talk to him about getting the medallion or try to steal the medallion or something. But, yes, yeah, the so game like, itself a, doesn't really accomplish anything. Exactly. But the game does take up a lot of film time. Like, this film looked for a lot of filler, I feel, because it didn't have a lot of things to do. And, like, a lot of these scenes just feel like they're trying to take up time. This definitely, the soccer game definitely feels like they're just taking up time. Because the, the kids aren't involved in any way. Mrs. Price isn't involved in any way. Mr. Brown is there, but the only thing he's doing is occasionally getting trampled by these animals. Like, the action is mostly the animals playing soccer, but even then, the animals aren't scoring a single goal until the end. So I don't know. This scene was very boring, and it was another place where I really had to slog through uh, to make it to the end of this movie. Yes. Maybe it's not Baloo. Maybe it's Little John. Okay. Yeah. Baloo, I mean, was Jungle Book, but... Sure. I, I have my notes, Baloo. I have not seen um, Robin Hood, the animated series, for a long time. It's not the animated series. I'm aware it's... of what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry it took me that long to get to that thought. I was just, my brain's slow. That's all right. I've always said that about you. <laughs> all right. So, let's get out of Nabumafu. Did you know that one of the Sherman brothers is still alive? Yes. He's very old. Mm-hmm. His That's name is Richard. Of... Great. His name is Richard. <laughs> All right, I'm going to advance the plot here. Yay! Um, they, they steal the medallion from the king um, in... Oh, I'm trying to find the exact thing that... He's a legend. That's what it is. Mr. Brown does a gypsy switch mm. uh, where he helps the that's king on That's not politically with, correct now. Well, no. He helps the king on with his robe, quote-unquote... And in doing so, he replaces the king's medallion with his own whistle and pockets the medallion because women tend to lose things, which is another thing that (laughs) won't hold up today. To be fair, I do lose a lot of things. All right, I won't be giving you Astaroth's medallion then. Please do not. I can't trust you with it. I'll lose it in my car. They get on the bed to try to escape, and the king realizes and starts to chase them down. And then Mrs. Price just turns him into a rabbit again, because there's no real danger, and they disappear back to the real world. Whee! <laughs> there's an interesting concept when they try the spell for the first time. Oh, wait, I forgot. Oh, right, because this film delays actually using the spell another time. Because anyone, anyone, Bueller, why does it... What delays the spell one more time? <laughs> Come on, Sarah, you know. What happens to the medallion in the real world? It doesn't exist anymore. It's in the book. 
Right. It turns it was, to pixie dust. It was in the book the whole time. Right. Well, meaning? It was meaning, in the storybook. The entire island scene, from water dance scene to soccer nonsense, didn't have to happen. The little boy just had to believe in himself in the storybook. I think he's the real magic. As an audience member, that <laughs> infuriated me. That these two scenes I just slogged through for them to get the spell were meaningless and didn't even get them the spell they were there to get. I have a theory. Angela Lansbury is only kind of like a hedge witch. Okay. Like, she can do, like, minor spells and stuff. But that little boy, that little boy is, like, uber magic. Okay. Like... I like this theory. Do you have anything to support your argument? Because little kids are evil. (laughs) 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 You're going to say are magic. Yeah, evil things are magic. Um... (laughs) Oh, yeah. The... I've heard the devil called the Lord of Magic and not just the Lord of Darkness, for sure. And he's the only one that can use the bed knob. That's because she gifted it to him, and it was technically, quote-unquote, his bed knob. Yeah. But that's what she says. But maybe it's just because he's the only other person that's magic. All right. So we finally get to a scene of them using the spell. (gasps) And a great song! Well, before... Angela Lansbury tries the words, and they don't work. And there's an interesting concept here that I I like as sort of like magic lore. Because in Harry Potter or whatever, you got to pronounce the words right. It's and if you pronounce God the words right, Leviosa. exactly. If you pronounce the words right with a wand, the spell works every time. Or else you'll blow up your eyebrows. She says the words as they are written, concentrates hard, and tries to use magic, and they don't work. Apparently, to get them to work, Mr. Brown has been putting, like, a bit of rhythm to the words. He has been sending her his interpretations, kind of jazzing up the spells a bit. And it's the the mixture of these ancient words and these rhythms and extra words that he throws in that finally get them to work. And so she puts some, some rhythm, some music to these words, and then these shoes start a tapping, and she gets the substitutory locomotion spell that she's been trying to get to work the entire film. It reminds me of the beginning of Laverne and Shirley. Shamil Slamazel? Yep. <laughs> Just because it's nonsense words that are they're putting into a song. So we've got substitutionary locomotion. That's the one. Which is a good song. Sure. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't know if I like the song. I did Ooh. like this scene because I like practical effects and the practical effects in this film are pretty great because she cast the spells on a pair of shoes just to get them tapping and to try out the spell. And apparently the spell worked on every piece of clothing in her home that charge into the room and then just start attacking everybody. So like the practical effects to get these inanimate pieces of clothing moving around the room and to make them look like they're punching people or like choking things. It's really neat and really well done. I'm not exactly sure how they did the effects, which is very enlightening to see a practical effect done so well. I'm not exactly sure how they did it. Magic. Actual magic. Oh, it's practical magic. (laughs) That's a different movie. Okay. Nicole Kidman kills someone. That sounds about right. 
I feel like a lot of it would be almost stop motion, but I think it's probably more um, marionette puppetry stuff, like when they get to the suits of armor and all that. Yes. The suits of armor were also used in the movie Camelot. Wow. What trivia. <laughs> That's Great a movie fact. we could And watch. it's so relevant to this movie. <laughs> Except they replaced all the original Broadway actors and made it not as good. So that scene is great where she finally gets the spell to work. Let's get on to Nazis. Nazis! This is where we get Nazis. How we could have won the war faster. Yeah. Magic. I was hoping one of you would pick up the thread and talk about Nazis. So we use the spell so the Nazis come. <laughs> That's not um, what happens no. at all. The Nazis are coming regardless. So uh, you oh, see what gosh. happened is we signed these things and had reparations and the Germans got really mad about it. And mm. so the Nazi party came into power and they wait, decided wait. to put Hitler wait, in now, Hold on. Hold on. Are you just are you just recounting World War Two or this movie? Well You should have I been mean, more specific. Some... You're right. I should have. I should have just opened the floor to Nazis. Because apparently <laughs> Sarah has like a fifteen minute bit on Nazis. Okay. Just ready to go at any point. Ah, uh, but <laughs> And you see the Germans fell out with the Russians, and then they oh, attacked boy. Russia in June, and yeah. then they had to stay there through the winter, and they all starved. Great. In this film, however, <laughs> uh, Nazis invade this small town. They take over her home. And yet um, none of them have mustaches, it seems. Is that a big Nazi thing? I don't know. I <laughs> mean, I, just, I could just think of the one guy who had a very famous mustache. It just seems like if they'd been out there for a while, they wouldn't have had time to shave. Uh, you can shave on a submarine. You can shave in the field. That's why you have a razor in your kit. Yeah. They're not on a submarine. <laughs> yes, they are. There's a submarine in the bay. Oh, they right. come they in had, on boats. They had boats. to get to England somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't get to shore on the submarine, but there's a submarine further out. That's the boat they take to get there. A submarine's not a boat. It's a U-boat. They call it sometimes. Anywho, Mrs. Price tries to threaten them with magic. But she can't remember the words. She is a ditzy witch that can't remember how to do a single spell if it's not written down in front of her. Um, so that doesn't happen. And they get put in the... To get them just out of the way, they throw them in this museum uh, so they can have the run of the town. Now, I think the old men of the town are just like not there, not doing the one job that they're supposed to be doing, protecting this town from literal Nazis. So I don't know where, what happened to them. The Nazis have disabled the phone lines. Yes, but let's talk about Brown. Something happens with Brown. Anybody? anybody he turns into it? a rabbit and goes no. in to steal something. To leave. Why does he leave? He's going to get something oh, so, he or her book so she can a, do her spells. He doesn't want to be a father figure. Bingo. So yeah, he, there's this really nice moment with the kids after they get back where they're like, I love this family now. I want to live with Angela Lansbury forever. And you there, street person, come live with us too. We want to be your kids. And he's like, <laughs> Nah, I'm good. And he just bounces. Because he's got a life to get back to, I guess? With his big house and unexploded bomb. Exactly. He's got a bomb to look after. And then he becomes a rabbit, and then he really bounces. 
Yeah. So he's at the train station. I you did a great joke. I heard it in my ears and I laughed internally. But then I kept talking. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So he goes to the train station. He sees the Nazis cutting the phone lines. The Nazis are chasing him down, which is where, as Mark said, he finally believes enough in his powers and his magic and is able to turn himself into a rabbit and escape the Nazis. But this uh, does get him, being a rabbit allows him to get through the bars in the museum and everyone's back together and they team up in a great scene where they use the spell that they just learned to enchant all of these suits of armor. And so you see Nazis with their machine guns and their other weaponry looking down at the field because they start to hear war drums going off. And slowly marching up to these Nazis are these suits of armor that in this time period seem completely out of place, but it's, uh, they shoot them and then just nothing happens. I really, really liked this scene. It is a, a wonderful finale. I like the one suit of armor that like takes off his head and just like, dumps out the bullets. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what I noticed later in the scene, like, it builds and builds and builds, and apparently this museum has just, like, hundreds, if not thousands of suits of armor. Because, like, when they look across the field, it is just an enormous amount of weaponry and armor out there that are coming to attack this relatively small group of Nazis. The British just have castles and suits of armor everywhere. You just I guess. But it wasn't them. it wasn't all suits of armor, was it though? I thought it was like different military outfits from different eras. It may have. But it focused mostly on the armor, like all the little I think most of them at least had like a complete like outfit altogether. Like, at one point, there's uh, the Scottish bagpipes start to play. Like, that's obviously not a suit of armor, but there's enough, like, armor from that country where it could just be a man in a suit that they digitally remove the face of. Like, so, yes, they do have a lot of things from different eras and different countries, but largely suits of armor. But this is where we get the practical effects that I really enjoyed because they can shoot... All of these suits of armor, but, like, the suits of armor can take off their head and there's nothing in there. And occasionally, like, an arm falls off and there's no arm in there. I think at one point, like, something happens to their suit of armor and it, like, all collapses down and then it reassembles itself. Like, the practical effects here with these real suits of armor are just amazing. I loved this scene. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and all of those wonderful scenes under the sea and on the island leading up to it just just, <laughs> just give you such anticipation, Carl, right? Right, but, like, this film builds up this this last spell a lot. Like, it's the one spell that Eglantine Price needs. It's why they find Amelius Brown. It's why they travel to this mystical island in a book. Like, they're looking for this one spell, and it's a great payoff when they finally use it. Because this is an enormous help to the war outfit. War, the war effort is the words <laughs> I tried to put together and failed the first time. Uh, because all these suits of armor are getting shot, like, repeatedly, and nothing is happening to them. At one point, like, one of them takes off his leg and just kind of rattles his leg out and just all the bullets he was shot with just crumble to the ground, having done nothing to stop him. 
So yeah, I buy that if England had this force of just animate suits of armor, they could win the war in like a day. Just give the amount of firepower they can take, and they're borderline unstoppable. They just needed more magic. Yeah, I tell ya. But getting to the end of this film, the Nazis do retreat. Some of them die, I think. I didn't pay attention to the Nazis. Um, <laughs> but... Well, the, the, one of his face melts and the other one's head explodes. Right, right. They uh, they uncover the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, right. which is the most powerful item. It's the thing they've been looking for the entire time. <laughs> but in leaving, the Nazis, I think, like, either set fire to or set off a small bomb in Mrs. Price's home, and they destroy her, like, laboratory. And so all of the spells that she's been collecting get lost forever. And because she has a terrible memory, she doesn't remember any of her magic. She is back to knowing practically nothing about magic. And the one thing that remains is the bed knob, which will still work for this young child. But that's basically it. But she should still know her other spell because the kid still has that book with those words in it. She should. I don't think she thinks that far ahead, however. (laughs) But you're right. She should have the substitutory locomotion spell. All right, so, um, yeah, the, uh, Mr. Brown joins the army. Like, the scene, the, the movie should end after the war is done, but there's a little epilogue as well where Mr. Brown just leaves this family he's created to go off and, like, fight war or whatever. Sarah, you did talk about it not being a happy ending. Do you have any other notes on this? Yeah, y- you would think that, like, Mr. Brown would have overcome his fear of staying, but no, he just leaves and joins the war. Which I Mm -hmm. guess is, like, heroic and stuff, but, like, (laughs) he's just gone. Yeah, like, he should stay with the family he made over the course of this film. I wonder, because, like, they bought the rights for two books, and it was a combination of two books. Oh. If they thought they were going to be able to get more out of it. Because it's like, they still had the bed knob, and they're like, oh, we could have more adventures. And that's why, like, they had him leave. But, like, I don't know. They had the whole thing about he left, and he didn't want to be the father figure, and then he came back. You think he would have had him stay and have the complete family. Like, nope, going to war. Bye. But I guess that would be the noble thing at that time. Maybe that was what they wanted to showcase. And, I mean, he was a military man in real life, that actor, so. Hmm. Yeah, I just don't... So part of what doesn't work for me in this film is I don't feel like characters have a lot of growth. Certainly Angela Lansbury comes to like children a bit more than she did before. But, like, she's... She kind of resets and loses all of her knowledge of spells because her house explodes or whatever. Uh, The children are kind of just themselves the entire time without any real growth or arc of character. Mm -hmm. And even Mr. Brown decides to leave and not be a part of a group the same as he was in the beginning of the film. So, like, he's doing a different job and probably for a more noble reason, but he still isn't a part of a family. He's still on his own. So, because this film takes real long time to accomplish the things that it sets out to do. And the characters don't really... Well, some aren't very fleshed out, and all of them don't have arcs. Yeah, this film kind of falls flat for me. That's kind of like 
I guess exactly the same that I had. Like there were certain scenes that I remember having seen as a kid and watching it now. It's just like that is not really that great, and it had nothing to do with the story. And then the only part that was that exciting is the whole battle at the end, which I guess is, you know, the whole climax that they're leading up to. But then even that, then the story is just over. And that, I guess they saved the day, but I don't remember the, like, most of the plot is just forgettable. (laughs) And I don't even, I've said a few times, like, there are songs that are good to listen to while I'm listening, but I do not remember anything about them afterwards, so. Like, I can't find anything about it, but it just feels like it should have had a sequel. Okay. Like, the fact that everything burnt down and she, her career is over, it feels like it should have started with, at some point, him coming back, her working towards getting her magic back, them going on more adventures, something. Because it just ends so down. Oh, yeah. the Another thing that we... Uh, I forgot to mention, I guess. Um, so Angela Lansbury, during that battle scene, is flying over the entire thing with a broomstick, like managing her army, which is really neat. Uh, at the end, she gets uh, knocked off her broomstick or something and falls to the ground. And when that happens, every suit of armor just kind of deflates and goes back and crumbles to the ground. And when this happens, the old men of the town finally show up and see the Nazis retreating and decide that they are the cause of the Nazis retreating and just take all of the credit from Angela Lansbury. Like, these old men are so proud of themselves to have thwarted the Nazis, they're going to give all of themselves awards and medals and not attribute anything to this kind woman who took the um, took the entire army out. So I think everyone talks about there being like a very big dry spell in Disney from like yep sixty six till the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this, this was is, uh, the, in that dry spell, huh? The, no, this was the last movie to win an Oscar ah. until, or at least under the main Disney name. Until The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Because, like, Roger Rabbit won some, but that was under one of the other. Yeah, and that was a that was a team up with Warner Brothers. Yeah. Well, they used Warner Brothers stuff, but it was under one of the Disney labels. Touchstone, maybe? Yeah, it might have been Touchstone. But, yeah. One of their labels they threw movies under that they weren't sure about. Right. All right. So, are we ready for games? No, but I'll listen to yours. Great. Same. (laughs) No, I have some, actually. I will judge them. Let's go on to games. Our first game is the Pitch Game, a game where we put together two or three properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this movie. So... Excuse me. I'm going to be starting us off telling our audience what bed knobs and broomsticks is in terms of other things. Oh, yes. And we're still doing the guessing thing. So Ooh, let yeah. me let me finish and then you can guess. Okay. Is it your mom? What? All right. Now, it said let me finish, Sarah. Of course it's my mom. Of course it is. All right. So... 
Since this is a property with London children, witches learning spells, people on broomsticks, crafty cats, motorcycles powered by magic, ordinary objects teleporting people, and an old stern woman turning someone into an animal. She's still not old. And Angela Lansbury playing a a childish retiree living alone in a small secluded town, thwarting the plans of 'er ne'er-do-wells and doing it way better than the authorities. It's Harry Potter meets Which Murder, one? She Wrote. It is. It's all Harry Potter's, Mark. Yeah. Um, you nailed it. It is Harry Potter meets Murder, She Wrote. Mark, go ahead. I used to watch way too much Murder, She Wrote. Y- yeah. Well, as I usually will say, I think of things that are really obvious and purposely mm-hmm. don't pick those because I try to find uh, the more obscure ones, so I did not include Murder, She Wrote. Again, okay. I used to watch way too much Murder, She but, Wrote. But... <laughs> I will... Mm, now I have to decide if I want to use one that you already used. <laughs> or pick challenge. one before you steal it. Mm-hmm. I'm a good guesser. Um, because this is a movie with a no-nonsense British woman who uses magical abilities to cause inanimate objects to move, mixes live action with animation, and uses music to cast her spells... And a movie with an entry-level magic user struggling to harness newfound abilities figures them out just in time to defeat the bad guy. So it's Mary Mm. Poppins. Sorcerer's Apprentice is maybe the second one? Carl is correct. All right. And so was Sarah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so. We we, we each had half of the answer. All right, great. Sarah, did you you come up with any, or we're just going to keep going with us? It's okay. You could. You still have time. I, I got more I can do. There is time now. There was Shut time up. now. <laughs> oh. oh, it hurts me. Uh, right. Any time I get a chance to say that to you, I will. I so. Well, any chance she, you guys get to send me spiders, you do that too. Yep. Anyhow. So here's my second one. Mm-mm. Since this is a movie featuring characters traveling into the world of a book where everything is a cartoon and the rules get made up as they go, and children evacuated from London due to the war sent to live with a single caretaker traveling to an alternate world of talking animals ruled by a lion, all thanks to a magical piece of bedroom furniture, it's... A Thing Meets Chronicles of Narnia. Specifically which Uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the one. All right. A book. Wait. They go into a book. That a character goes into the book, um, and the rules kind of get made up because he mixes a lot of narratives together. A never-ending story. No, that no. Um, that one with Macaulay Culkin. Oh, it could be. Yeah, that uh, the the, the it, story. Is it story the unicorn or? one? It is called The Page Master. Thank you. It was The Page Master meets The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, I knew which one it was. I just couldn't remember the title. Which I is funny because you have seen 90s. that and I have not. I haven't seen it since the mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Mark, one now, but go. Write it down, Sarah. We're going to go to Mark and then to you. Oh, you have one now. Uh, a movie with a sorcerer trying to learn new abilities and be proficient with magic and earn certification from a school of witchcraft. Meeting a movie where children are evacuated during World War II, discover a world of magic, meet a lion who is a king, and help defeat uh-huh. the evil invaders. Oh boy, is this... is it just Harry Potter? 
Or is it more is it more esoteric? Uh, I'm gonna say Harry Potter meets the line of the Witch of the Wardrobe. Yes. So uh, thanks, Carl, it? for stealing both of them. But okay, great. <laughs> okay, no one's done either of mine yet. Great, Sarah, go ahead. So it is a movie that combines live action with 2D animation that also involves a female character doing a solo song that was nominated for an Academy Award meets a movie that involves a strange form of flying transportation plus a male character that was in Mary Poppins and a bad guy that is more sinister than should be in a children's movie. Hmm. I have a feeling, I have a feeling on the second one. Um, is the second one Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? The second one is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Okay, because I haven't seen that. Oh. So that's why, that's why it was a guess. I saw that Um, years ago. Give me cliff notes of the first one again. So it was live action plus 2D animation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the female solo got nominated for an Academy Award. I I don't have much on this. I'm just going to guess who framed Roger Rabbit. No, it's older than that. Okay. They did a remake of it recently. Mark, you got anything? A remake of it? Yes. Um, the 2D animation is very big. Very big. And there's a lighthouse. There's always Bioshock. <laughs> no. All right, go, Sarah. What is it? It's Pete's Dragon. Oh, Pete's Dragon. Yeah. All right. Yes. That's another one I don't remember seeing. That's I the one about candle on the point. water. Candle on the water. Yes. All right. So my last one before we move on to our next game. <clears throat> so. Since this is a 1971 film musical featuring characters searching for an extremely rare item, strange creatures from a fictional island, and extremely jarring technicolor travel scenes, and a movie produced by Walt Disney with a British caretaker falling from the sky using magic to enforce discipline, teaming up with a street performer, and traveling into a cartoon world while remaining live action. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, say that again? <laughs> say the no. first one again. <laughs> All right. 1971, um, character search for extremely rare item, creatures from a fictional island, and jarring Technicolor travel scenes. Logan's Run. It is not Logan's One. <laughs> no, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. There are some weird scenes in that movie, though. Treasure Island. All Ooh. right. Well, no. Well, what do you got? Uh. Well, I know Mark. what the second one is. Well, yeah, I think we all know what the second one is. <laughs> I didn't hear the second one either. Okay. It was Mary Poppins. The end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was it? British caretaker um, falling from the sky. Got it. That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so jarring travel scenes. Uh, I will say the jarring travel scene, there's maybe only one of them. Uh, they do it on a boat. A lot of Technicolor, a lot of things flying around. It's a boat going through a tunnel. Tra- oh. Chocolate factory? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, yeah. yes. It's not my fault that movie messes up the title. <laughs> the book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm aware of what the Roald Dahl book is. Uh, but yeah, the, the characters from the fictional island are Oompa Loompas. Uh, um, yeah. Willy Wonka explains where they come from, and mm. one of the dads turns over and like, that, that island doesn't exist. There's anyway. a lot of stuff that doesn't exist. Yes. So we're going to go on to... taste like schnozberries. 
we're gonna go on to our second game, which is alternate taglines, a phrase you would see in on the poster for the film that describes the theme of the movie, though with ours, potentially missing the point. Sarah, you're gonna be reading the actual taglines for this film, but me and Mark are going to do some made-up gibberish. Alright, so, <clears throat> my first one. Uh, the first one, I have to, like, kind of correct a misnomer in the title of the film. So it is, bed knobs and broomsticks, asterisk, just one of each, actually. Is it? That's it. Is it a, is, I guess she uses the same broom at the end that she did at the beginning, huh? It's one broomstick, one magical bed knob. No need for plurals. I'm sure the bed has more than one knob. We only see one. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Mine is not so much a real tagline for the movie as my feelings towards the movie. <laughs> I got some of those, too. Uh, I have... <laughs> bobbing along near the bottom of my movie rating list. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yes. wow. I love the... I love the effort. I love the artistry. <laughs> I love the energy. And it'll probably be close to my bottom as well. Yeah. Get um, out! <laughs> Sarah, go ahead, give us the real one. But unlike Mark, give us the title first no. and then the tagline. Bed knobs and broomsticks, the most magical one of all. The most magical what sweet. of all? Movie, I, I guess. I don't know. Bed knob. It's certainly the most magical bed knob. I don't know. I had a bed with some pretty cool bed. But were they magic is the point. I don't know. They were porcelain. So, yes. Yeah. Anywho, my next one. Bed knobs and broomsticks. Magically making the plot disappear. <laughs> uh, Sarah, do you have another actual tagline? I do. It's, you'll be... It's title first! Sorry. Bed knobs and broomsticks. You'll be witched. You'll be dazzled. You'll be swept into a world of enchantment beyond anything before. See, that's the one I, I found. I liked... I like just the, the wordplay that you'll be witched, you'll be dazzled. I thought it was pretty nice. Pretty neat, pretty nice. Pretty night. <laughs> pretty night. Anywho, my last one is bed knobs and broomsticks. Don't judge a book or a bed by its cover. Mm. You're welcome. All right. Let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide Game. A description of the plot of the film that is technically correct, but again possibly misses the point. So, I'm going to once again start us off here uh, describing to our audience the plot of Bedknobs and Broomsticks. <clears throat> so, through interacting with their new female character, children orphaned by war have their lives threatened by London's criminal underground, ferocious wild animals, Nazis, and clothing with attitude, but in the end, decide to stay with her anyways. And they also wanted the street guy as their dad. That's true. These children make poor decisions. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess it's me, because Sarah, oh, yeah, Sarah doesn't ahead. have any, huh? I will have one in a second. Ooh. All right. The Nazi invasion of England is thwarted by an elaborate puppet by elaborate puppetry and stop-motion animation masquerading as magic. Pretty great. Sarah, are you ready? A group of children leaving the city to find shelter in the country during war are taken back to the city. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yep, you're not wrong. They don't really, they don't really address that the Blitz is currently happening in London, and they just spend a lot of time in London. But everybody in London is happy and dancing around to music, so it, that's yeah. true. 
but they were sent to the country to get away from the city. <laughs> You're right. All right, my last one. <clears throat> a woman's long-term trials and tribulations lead to an enormous aid to England's war effort, but all of her hard work gets credited to the men of the town, and her powerful discoveries get lost forever thanks to her terrible memory. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, so, let's go on to reviews, starting, of course, with our infamous potato scale, telling our audience what they can ex expect uh, emotionally watching the film in terms of our relationships with potatoes. Now, as is per usual, I am going to look up the scale, because I have not prepared this, and I never will. Uh, so, <laughs> one of you, go ahead. At least you're willing to admit that. Potatoes, potatoes. Ooh, I know what's, which one Sarah's should be. <laughs> Mine is mashed potatoes. I like this movie. I like the music. It makes me happy. Except, but also, I don't think I can give it hash browns, even though I did keep falling asleep during <laughs> That's the it. one that I was going to suggest, but... <laughs> Because it wasn't the movie's fault, because I also kept falling asleep during literally everything else I did this week, including podcasts, yep. and trying to listen to music, and trying to sit down, and like... <laughs> driving in a car i wasn't what? driving the car <laughs> I was to say. yeah just so we Please don't worry don't. our listeners i was not the one driving the car all right hmm. so i've decided on my ratings so it's kind of a um, it's kind of a stretch but for oven baked potatoes we have it takes too long to get started and this movie starts fine and this movie ends great but there's a long period in the middle where it just, oh boy, none of those scenes are important. It's a real slog to get through. And so it, it does take a long time to get from one good part to the other good part of this film. Uh, but the good parts are good. Um, ultimately, though, I gotta give it a potato skins because they're not enough there. Uh, the good parts are great, but they get outweighed by this middle nonsense, and a lot of the songs aren't as good as they should be. So maybe a box potato in there as well. So let's let's see. Altogether, I think that's a boxed, oven-baked potato skin. <laughs> that's because you I don't know I thought you were art. the one that told us we could only do two potatoes if we're combining them together. I think, we're, I think we've done three. We have. I don't want to go but... over three. I Three think, is fine. I think we're past that. Okay, well, I, uh, as we have discussed, tend to agree with Carl's opinion this time. That's because you two don't know art. Which is, it's, it's actually pretty unusual. I think usually Carl and yeah. I are opposite on each other. So. Like, normally Sarah and I, well, we don't agree with everything, but we tend to agree, like, on Disney films we have similar tastes. Not on this one, though. And opinions on so, Woody Allen. I, for all the same reasons, they're, they're obviously, uh, it doesn't stick in my mind very well because I couldn't remember half the things that happened in it while we were trying to talk about them. <laughs> so. I fell asleep multiple times I just, and I remember So it we do you. have one that says bland and I don't know how often we have used that before, but I'm going to give I that a that. raw potato. Um, but also the potato skins, just because, like we also mentioned, there are those good scenes. Uh, 
And for the time, it was good special effects. It's kind of hard to watch now some of them, but the practical effects effects especially in the battle at the end are done really well so it has good moments and the music is okay at times <laughs> it may not be memorable later on but it's fun while you're watching so i that but sherman brother is going to come potato skin says that it's ultimately disappointing and i just could not i don't know this one did yeah. not do it for me so yeah i'm kind of i have like yeah. a raw potato skins hey i got one more fact for you Ooh, tell us more. This is the last Disney movie to come out before Roy Disney died. Oh, yeah, that yeah, that checks out. It's a real shame. This movie should have been a lot better to honor him. Maybe he liked it. Maybe he did. Because uh, he would have, when would that know. have been? Uh, October, November of 71, yeah. I think. Well, because he was, I think he was alive when Disney World opened in October, so. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right. Anyway. So let's go on to our other review scale, which is a scale from 0 to 10, telling our audience should they go back and watch this film. I give it an 8. All right. I, f I figure she's going to be like, I'm going to give it a 15 to offset your terrible uh -huh. scores. No. <laughs> I told her she can't do that anymore. Nothing is going to, at the moment, upset Muppet, Muppet Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Yeah. I... Well, I had also, to go I'm not back. allowed to do that anymore. I had to go back and look at some of our past reviews because right, I'm doing that right I, now, so. I thought that it was better than the kangaroo movie, yeah, but not as good as one of those other ones that I rated not very well. It's I don't gotta what be it was. better than surf ninjas. So, oh, yeah. so um, I'm going to give it a four. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's really low on my list, which, it, I mean, a four is pretty close to the lowest number I've ever given. So it's not like a, it's not a one, but because some of the music is good and it's still a classic-ish Disney movie mm -hmm. that if you haven't seen it, it might be worth watching it just once to say that you've seen it. But it's so... <laughs> all the stuff that happens that has no point to it just kind of makes it like not worth it to watch it i think more i than ranked once. man of the house too high so yeah yeah you did <laughs> we told you that at the time sarah Ooh. Ugh. all right so i'm gonna be closer bland. to mark than i am to sarah i I thought about putting this movie as a five because, like, the good parts outweigh oh, some of the bad goodness. parts. And, like, overall, five is, like, middle-of-the-road movie. It's where I put Mac and Me, which certainly had its problems, but it was fine. It was okay. Um, and if this movie was shorter, I think a five would be perfect. It is hard to get through this movie in one sitting. It is, goes on far too long. Uh, and because of that... I gotta dock it a point, and I'm going for a four uh, if, with Mark as well. So, like, I... Like, the good parts are good, but there's the, the bad parts outweigh it significantly. You know what's great about that is that that means we both rated Mac and Me higher than this movie. Did we? How? <laughs> um, because it's just... Mac and Me was, like... It, Mac and Me was the good bad. <laughs> Mac and Me is corporate shill. Yeah, but it's a good bad film. Guys, I have to change my Man of the House score. It's too late now. It's already canon. It's already published. We already put it out there, Sarah. People know you like Man of the House now. <laughs> Someone 
tell me how I did my Mighty Duck score 7.5261? I don't were you, know. I thought I you think... weren't even there for that. Epi- oh, you were there for the first one, not I for was the with, other one. Was... We could talk about scores up the air. I think, <laughs> I think I wanted you to be, like, more specific, and you did that as a joke. Okay. That sounds like something Anywho. she would do. I have Anywho. to look in my folder later. Before we go on to our final segment, Sarah, can you tell people where to find us online if they choose to do so? I can. Perfect. You can find us on Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other at Retrograding Party Line. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm. Give us a like, a review, or share us with your friends. Our music was done by Dominique Barnes. Who continues to be great. That's true. So our final segment is guys, I learned something today. So guys, I learned something today. Piece of wisdom I took from this film that I can share with all of our audience to think on for the coming weeks before our next episode. And it is simply don't throw away your pocket junk. Sometimes it become the most powerful item in all of the land. So just, you know, think about that. Uh, And that's going to close this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time.